Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. So we have Evan and Clay Manship, two brothers who flew in from Indianapolis to share how they've done over 200 transactions per year for several years in a row with over two and a half million in revenue. Was that last year? Uh, yeah, last yeah. year, was, yeah, first year we got over two and a half. Yeah, so pretty good numbers. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only MLS for off-market wholesale properties. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires, so if that's something you want to do, let's connect on Instagram. It's at steve.trang. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up, and as a friendly reminder, I don't charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you guys all to listen to this show. I've been told by a consultant that I need to get the 500 five-star reviews in iTunes to hit some of my crazy goals. So please do me a favor, go into iTunes, subscribe, and give me a five-star review. If you can write what you like about the show, that will be even better. And this is a live show on Facebook and YouTube, so please ask your questions for Evan and Clay to answer. You guys ready? Let's do it. Rock and roll. All right. So first question, I'll start with Clay, is what got you into real estate? What got me into real estate? Um, <laughs> it's only an hour-long show, by yeah, the way. Yeah, so, so the, the abbreviated version of how I got into real estate started with... Uh, uh, back in school you know uh, I wanted to be the, the landlord that laid on the beach and drank my ties all day long um, taking a step back I wanted to be the guy that was in investment banking uh, I wanted to wear the suspenders and drive a Ferrari and make a lot of money and realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to work 100 hour weeks and so red rich dad poor dad which seems to be the, uh, the quintessential uh, cliche right mm -hmm. red rich dad poor dad wanted to be the landlord laid on the beach and learned that was a tangible thing. So um, real estate seemed to be the vehicle to get me into um, that passive money lifestyle and come to find out it's just a giant myth, right? I mean, it's still very active in what we do today. Oh, yeah. Uh, so um, that's what got me into into wanting to be in real estate, uh, you know, whatever, eight, nine, ten years ago. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, we, we were lucky enough to, as a part, we went to a giant public high school in mm -hmm. Indianapolis, you know, graduated with 800 kids or something in our class. And as a piece of what you know was required for every finance or if it, folks that were going to study finance or accounting or economics, whatever, we business folk, uh, a required class, required coursework in the in the high school was a course called financial planning. So something that in we high school, uh, required, yeah, high school required yeah. piece for people studying finance and economics in high schools. So we were wish, seven, they offer, wish they required that here. Yeah, right. I wish they required it across the world, yeah. across the globe, and and so we were certainly fortunate to bump into that class. But you know that class was you know how to balance a checkbook, God forbid. And uh, uh, you know, simple accounting, debits, credits, but a piece of that uh, required reading for that required coursework was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, here's a book, you should read it, it'll change your life. It was, we have a quiz on chapters one through four in the cash flow quadrant uh, on Tuesday. So, wow. you know, we had that beat into our minds kind of by sheer happenstance yeah. and it changed, it completely changed the, traje the trajectory of us you know, professionally and, and personally for that matter. Yeah, we, we learned pretty quick in, in, in high school, we were focused on instead of having a job that paid six figures, that's like the magic number, right? Mm -hmm. To escape that and think once we make that money, what are we what are we doing with it? And so that was kind of what escaped it and got into real estate. Gotcha. And then for you, same thing? Well, as we'll come to find out, Steve, there are very few differences between Clay and I. <laughs> uh, you know, went to the same college, studied the same thing, roomed together all four years. Uh, you know, we up until a couple months ago, you know, we lived right next door to each other and matching identical twin houses. So run our company together, work. You guys don't live next door to each other anymore? Not anymore, no. Actually, Clay just moved across the street. My wife and I got a house in the boobs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but, you know, we're, we're as identical as it gets. So yeah. down to reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, you know, having the idea to to buy our first couple pieces of real estate. I mean, we've been the same across the board, and God forbid, here we are. 
And then uh, at some point, you guys worked for a hedge fund. Yeah, so so our backgrounds were both in commercial. I, I graduated and, and wanted to go out and do anything other than go back home, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go back to Indianapolis at all. Mom doesn't like this part of the story. No, she doesn't. <laughs> and so I was applying for gigs in uh, Phoenix and L.A. and New York and Chicago and um, wasn't getting the jobs I wanted. And so I applied for one job back home, happened to be at a hedge fund in Indianapolis, um, got that job and was working in the commercial real estate group of that hedge fund. Mm -hmm. And I've had a similar story. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we thought that post-college, you know, you can only be so alike for so long. And we figured, you know, from age, you know, one day on, on the earth to, you know, the day we graduated high school was long enough and that that was kind of the imminent twin divorce, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to go to Seattle and you're going to go to Miami and we'll see you at Thanksgiving. Uh, and that was, you know, kind of what built up in our minds and what festered with us forever in college. And uh, it was bothersome, you know, applying for all these different gigs all over the, the country and, was, you know, uh, life had planned it. It was just hilarious how we both applied for one gig in Indy. Clay got his, I got mine. Uh, Clay was, you know, underwriting, like you said, kind of large-scale commercial debt stuff. And I worked for a property tax consultancy group, uh, underwriting and valuing. Uh, this is right out of school. I was 23 years old, and somehow, some way, they trusted a finance grad <laughs> to underwrite, you know, large multifamily stuff and commercial, industrial, yep. office, whatever. So right. it was neat. I, Clay kind of studied the, the financing side of things, and I had the uh, the background with kind of valuation and how that mm -hmm. worked. So if I could find value and he could find money for it, it was a, kind of a match made in heaven. Oh, there as you much go. Much as two 22-year-old uh, schmucks could, could, could ask for. Well, and, and part of this, and sorry to hijack you, what, part of what I did is, is on top of being in this commercial group, was analyzing the, the net worth statements of borrowers. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you got these guys buying 10, $20 million buildings and you see I was there for two years. And from quarter to quarter, they're going from 10 million to 12 million to 15 million in net worth. And compound that with rich dad, poor dad, I knew damn quick that I need to be on that side of the table versus <laughs> on this side of the table. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it wasn't hard to figure out. Yeah. So combined with our, our kind of our educational background and then practical experience, it was a no brainer to start buying real estate. Okay, so when you guys started buying real estate, was it straight in the wholesale, or I mean, what was that first move? Uh, yeah. our, our first deal was was kind of funny, you know. We horrifying, it was scary. <laughs> Let's stick with funny. I'll say Let's it. stick with funny so the viewers stay. Uh, <laughs> it was funny in the fact, you know, it was 2013, October, hell, Halloween of 2013 yep. is when we closed on it. Yep. Um, we bought it together naturally. Uh, we identified this house off the MLS, and it was 2013, so you could cherry pick deals off the MLS like crazy. Yeah. It's a $24,000 house, and we conventionally financed it. Mm -hmm. We found some bank to lend us whatever $17,000 or whatever it was, and our, our mortgage payment was $93 like or something. Yeah. And you know, at least at 650 or 700 bucks, we bought it with a tenant in place who was paying like clockwork. So it was it was hilarious. Uh, you know, we kind of got to thinking. Why isn't everyone doing this? This mm -hmm. is the easiest thing in the world. You know, right. How do we continue <laughs> to do this? But uh, I graduated college with uh, $112,000 in student debt, and he graduated with like 111. So where that thousand dollars went, I have no idea. But we both graduated with a lot of student debt. So when we bought our house, you know, it was kind of funny that they even lend to someone with that much debt. But you know, we spent every penny of expendable money we had to finance that house. So we bought a house; it was cash flowing, but at that point had no no additional funds so to do anything we wanted with. Picture the swag in this story, Steve. We we. <laughs> Two college graduated dudes, finance degrees, living at home with mom and dad, okay, and paying you know fifty grand a year, but owning a house and not living in it, mm -hmm. right? So our first house we bought with eight thousand dollars we scrounged together for a down payment, lived at home with mom and dad, and we but we had that we had that house, right? Yeah. That was our first buy and hold, was our first strategy. We didn't jump into wholesale. I wanted to be the landlord on the beach, mm -hmm. right? So the only way to do that was to hold uh, properties. So that was our first play. Yeah. So then when did wholesale 
into the conversation. You want to go for this or me? No, be my uh, guest. Cool. So we, <laughs> I love the story. We, we, so again, we, we bought one and then uh, about a year or so later, we, we, uh, we bought another one. So we own two houses within about three or four blocks of each other in downtown Indy. And our next step naturally was a duplex. We had two singles and wanted to buy a duplex. And uh, uh, we put it under contract, you know, it was on the MLS. We put down $500 in earnest money and uh, uh, non-refundable earnest money. We wanted to be competitive with our, with our offer, which, mm -hmm. you know, we learned was cool, right? And uh, so we put down $500 in earnest money, went and walked through the property, and it was just a hole. Man, that thing was just- Needed a lot the, of work. The pictures looked great, house was in terrible shape. Yeah. So we have this house, it's on the MLS. Um, we have $500 in earnest money down, and we look at each other and say, I'm not buying this thing. It's not gonna happen. But I, I we can't afford to lose 500 bucks. How mm -hmm. on earth are we gonna lose $500? That, that was a catastrophic amount of money for a couple mm -hmm. 20 We were scared. Yeah. We, we didn't, you know, we are like, how are we gonna do this? And so we picked up the phone and started calling everyone in the area. We, know, we knew how to go into, uh, because of our corporate backgrounds, we knew how to go into, into public record. And so we went into public record and, and searched who was buying stuff up and down that street. And I'll never forget, we made 24 phone calls, all no's, and then I'll actually, that's 25. And then the yeah. 20, 26th call was uh, to a guy named Steve, who was our first wholesale buyer. Mm -hmm. So we, we put under contract uh, 50 grand, I think, and sold it for 63. And so what was going to be a $500 loss turned into a $13,000 gain overnight. Yeah. And I say overnight, but we put in a lot of work into that deal. But mm -hmm. it was all, we wholesale the deal off the MLS. And, and that's how competitive the market started to be. Uh, you know, we wholesale the deal off the MLS. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it was listed for like 80 or something. Yeah, and so, we get, so we got a contract accepted at, you know, a pretty ridiculous price, 50 mm -hmm. or whatever it was. But uh, 2332 Guilford was the address. And I'll never forget mm -hmm. it. You know, when we when we closed that deal, and you're sitting there holding, you know, 23 years old and you're 100 grand in debt. And you're holding a $13,000 check. You know, 10, 15 percent of your student loan debt just disappeared yeah. instantly yeah. Over, over, you know, some some pretty. You know, we 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 grinded to find that deal. We grinded to negotiate it, and I'm a licensed guy, so it was easy to go back and forth. At least pretend like you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, we, <laughs> we got were, that CCIM next year. Yeah, you're right. No, those letters actually paid for themselves. <laughs> uh, but we uh, we got a little bit of luck, but a lot of hard work, and we we, we saw you know that thirteen thousand dollars. We went out to a happy hour afterwards and took the family after dinner, and we were rich. It was it was great, but. Uh, that that thirteen thousand dollars really blazed the trail for for what we do now. Yeah, it proved concept. Mm -hmm. You know, like that first rental house, we bought it on a, a Halloween, and then November first, rent was due, and so I got a six hundred fifty dollars check on that day, and it proved concept. So there's something to this. Mm -hmm. That wholesale deal on Guilford proved concept, and so okay, we're we're on the right path. We've already made mistakes. We're gonna keep making mistakes, but we're making mistakes in a way that allows us to learn and, and move forward. Yeah. And that was really our first wholesale deal. Gotcha. And then what was what happened after that? Um, kept, I kept making mistakes. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I think the Routiers deal is, is probably what it had to have been what it was. You know, at that we at that point we you know we wanted to continue to scale. You know, we we still own uh, what sixteen or seventeen properties now. And at that time, you know, we finally had money to put down on conventionally financing property. Mm -hmm. And we had we had learned at that point that there was a way to if you could take cash or raise cash that you could essentially wait, rehab it, recycle it back out, and have cash flowing assets with no money, no money into it, building a balance sheet, cash flowing, maintaining liquidity, all three of these cool things. And uh, that $13,000, you know, while it would have been nice to pay off the student loans at that point was uh, a, a leap, you know, a, a lily pad, a trampoline, you know, it, it let us kind of scale into these new cool things and start yeah. acquiring more deals. So uh, bought a single family house uh, for 30 grand. And for those of you watching, 
Uh, $30,000 can buy you a decent house in Indianapolis still. Uh, <laughs> certainly could back in 2014. So when I say I was bought a $30,000 house, it wasn't some Section 8 dump. It was actually a decent place. 1813 Routiers, R-O-U-T-I-E-R-S, for those of you watching. Uh, neat little house, bought it, uh, paid off our, our hard money investor, and then we had our first Burr deal, kind of mm -hmm. by accident. And this is before people were... Uh, writing books about it or bigger pocket, you know, bigger uh, pockets articles or right, whatever. It was right. just kind of a thing that we did, uh, right. and that thirteen thousand dollars really paved the way for us to scale. So you guys are like learning a lot of things, like basically inventing things <laughs> on your own. That don't get carried away. We yeah, <laughs> we well, as far as you guys knew, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. we're inventing things. There was no sexy acronym for it. It was just right. uh, buying cash and then recycling <laughs> it back out once you add value to it. Right. Yeah. And a lot of this, we, we understood what arbitrage was mm -hmm. at a relatively young stage. We, we knew that markets were inefficient in real estate. And what, what this led us to is, okay, if we can identify this burst strategy and do 50 of them a year, 20, 10 of them a year, right? Mm -hmm. We just got to find the right product. We got to find the right stream of inventory. Yeah. And so, correct, yeah, we kind of jumped into this burst thing. But on top of that, we realized if we can create a pipeline that brings this stuff in, we can get to that, that landlord on the beach pretty darn quick. Yeah. It's not going to be as long as we think. And so that was what led us into uh, kind of sending out yellow letters and postcards, door knocking, kind of the entry level wholesaler stuff. Yeah, we, we, we had that, the, the, the house that we bought, you know, we had that 12 or 13 grand kind of sitting around and we had to partner it with some additional, you know, bridge money to take down the house and to rehab it. Um, and, you know, we didn't know a bunch of rich people at the time who could lend us money. We were a bunch of schmucks and 24 mm -hmm. year old kids that didn't have any track record. And so, you know, we had to you know, find someone to have some level of belief in us. and. Uh, you know, we combed through bigger pockets and held a phone book for part of it, went to these meetups and couldn't find anyone that, you know, would lend us this money and 30, you know, 20 grand, whatever it was, was a lot of money, uh, back then. And, uh, <laughs> shout out to, to Jeb Brilliant, uh, our first investor. Uh, he's the one that I credit with kind of what started our company. Uh, his name is Jeb. He's from Long Beach and I found him on bigger pockets. I like saying to people, oh, I met him online. But I met I met this guy named Jeb online, and whether it was stupidity or, or he was just super naive, and but he believed in us and mm -hmm. said, "Yeah, sure, you know, secure me with a promissory note and a mortgage, and I'll fund you the difference for the house." So we bought the house, rehabbed it, you know, put it in our portfolio after we we refinanced and paid him off, and you know, we knocked on his door and said, "Do you want to lend us money again? You want to do us? Uh, there's a deal, you know, two or three houses down. I found this one on the MLS too." And he said, "Well, you know, I'm happy to lend you money. I'll lend you money all day long, but..." more than that, I want to do what you're doing. I want you to kind of teach me how you're building these portfo this portfolio. We're 24-year-old kids and had no money and we we're building a real estate portfolio. We probably yeah. had four or five properties at the time. He said, I want to do it, what you're doing. So much so, and I believe so much in what you've already done, you find a house and I'll just buy it directly from you. I trust yeah. you. So uh, Cash buyer. Cash so buyer, yeah. So, so that was our second wholesale deal was, was Jeb. We found him a house just by our first batch of, of yellow letters. And it was shooting, you know, fish in a barrel back when yellow letters could work. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, found him a house, wholesaled it, and that's kind of what and so I, I catapulted was, that, that so proof of concept. So when was this approximately? 14? Yeah, late 14 maybe, yeah, mm -hmm. give or take. And I always laugh is, is how'd you get into it? And it's always a story. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have this. I wish I had a straightforward answer for you. But a lot of this stuff happened because we started off in the position we did. We didn't start in the industry by wholesaling. I think that's a trap a lot of people fall into is they read these books I get on YouTube University mm -hmm. and I think it's a good place to start but you have to know the fundamentals yeah and a lot of people don't and we had the blessing of, of starting off as buy and hold guys and then having an investor and working in commercial the, the background yeah, the background right I mean, the handful of things. And we understood yeah. it pretty well and if we could control that inventory the supply control the supply and we're in a good spot yeah so that's how we got into wholesaling real estate it was completely out of necessity and kind of by accident and when did you guys quit your job 
Uh, I quit my job on October 6th of 2015. So when we were first doing this, I still had my, my full-time gig, mm -hmm. and I knew that uh, uh, I wanted to get out. But the way I was compared is make sure the boat is close enough to the dock before you step in it, right? You don't want to fall off into the water. And so that whole, call it a year, between 14 with Jeb all the way to when I quit my job in 15 was was just making sure the boat was close enough. Yeah, and we probably you know, we could have probably done a little bit you know, earlier than we did. Mine yep. was March 7, 2017. But same story, you know, we wanted proof of concept. And, you know, Clay quit his job first, and I was, you know, kind of the backup plan in case this whole thing <laughs> Right. At least one of us had a, had a job or something. But yeah. uh, it was neat. So we, we, uh, we you know, eventually, after, you know, working as hard as we did and finding the investors and wholesaling a couple properties, we, at some point, you know, we were just making more money from, from five to nine than we were from, from nine to five. Yeah. And I just said, screw it, let's just double yep. down on what we're good at, and that's what we did. Uh, so one of the things that, um, was like, like you mentioned, you know, some of these guys are kind of getting in, yeah, and they, they go straight in the wholesale and they don't have the foundation, right? Yep. The fundamentals. Uh, so their struggles are gonna be different, right? Because of, of, of starting their business. What were some of your guys' struggles? How's it different in your background, or was it just <laughs> smooth? Yeah. No, it was perfect smooth sailing. sailing. <laughs> uh, I don't know what, what our, our struggle, I guess, would have been. Uh, we, we're always action takers, mm -hmm. right? So that that's always something that, and it's cliche, but doing the wrong thing is better than doing nothing, in my opinion. Um, so uh, as far as struggles, I think that we struggled to, uh, to really scale um, quickly. Um, you know, we took our money and kind of sat on it and wanted to protect it instead of grow it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it makes me want to shake my head looking to where we probably could be had we done the last three years, six yeah. years ago, right? Yeah. You're not alone. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> it. So Everyone was buying in 2015. So yeah. So I, I, I don't think that's a struggle, but um, we, were, we were always good about uh, and I think a lot of people struggle too because they're not surrounding themselves with like-minded people. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, to, to be vulnerable was a weakness of mine and say, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, right? But Steve Trang does, and I need to go just associate myself with people that, that are around that way. Mm -hmm. um, I was too proud, right? And that's maybe where a weakness, and maybe that, that affected the business kind of short term, but um, that's where one of our struggles was, at least in the beginning. What, what do you think about struggles? <sighs> I don't even know where to start. It all seems like one big, <laughs> one, one big struggle bus to some degree. I mean, we're 24. You know, we're mm -hmm. 20. No, we're 23 when we bought our first house. We're mm -hmm. 23 years old, so we had no no clue what, what we were doing. But Clay's right. You know, kind of. You know, again, much like Jeb, whether it was we were naive or stupid or lucky. I mean, maybe a combination of the three. But we uh, uh, we jumped. We made some dumb mistakes leasing oh, to. Yeah. I mean, we're managing our own properties. Oh my. Uh, at one point, uh, at, the, at, the <laughs> climax, at the climax of our portfolio, we probably had 50 or 60 properties, not a cent into any of our deals. It was awesome, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the portfolio was ch churning and burning, but, you know, uh, oh, I'm not going to manage my, my own properties anymore. I'm, I'm above that. You know, I'm going to hire the best property manager ever. Well, you still got to manage a, a manager that's mm -hmm. managing 60 properties, and that's a full-time gig. So, yeah. uh, you know, that, that, was a, that was a struggle. Um, you know, identifying appropriate people, appropriate placement was, was constantly a struggle. But, you know... It's it's going to be a struggle. There's no way to jump directly into it. And not so a struggle. struggle. So yeah, yeah right. so that's today, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, we're getting ready to go to head to Portland tonight with a mm -hmm. bunch of guys have been doing this for 30, 40 years, and it's still a struggle for them. It's just you know making sure that struggle's decreasing, I suppose. Right. Uh, so how is your operation different than some of the other people in the in the market? Uh, how is it different? Well, our first and foremost, our, our, our we, we've got a set of core values. Our first core value is value first. And whether you're, you're, you're working with a customer or you're working with a seller, whatever it is, it's whether you have personal values, we're always serving. So um, value first comes first. And a lot of people in their wholesaling don't understand how to get to value. 
they didn't work in property tax, they didn't work in the commercial space, they don't have a C fancy CCIM next to their name, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we're always starting with value first. So what I always tell newbies when they're starting out or, or even experienced guys is if, if you're not providing ultimate value to your buyers, you don't deserve to be in business. Mm -hmm. um, and believe it or not, that's a conundrum that most people can't overcome, yeah. I think, especially in today's market. Um, a lot of people in Indy don't care necessarily. They just want to throw some contracts together and sling stuff. Mm -hmm. And we're big time value guys. And that, that's a good place to start. Um, on top of that, uh, and I'll let Ev talk more about this, but we are, we're, we're a buyer focused group. Yeah. And so we are always on the offense when it comes to finding sellers to sell. But uh, really where a competitive advantage we have is we are always on the offense when it comes to finding buyers to buy. Mm -hmm. And we are, we have a full time, you know, we've got a dispo guy. And we've also got an entire arm of the company that is built out to seek out cash buyers all the time. And, and that's kind of what Ev heads up. Yeah, and, and you know, if, if there's a fundamental difference, it's, it's that, you know, everyone can get on here and talk about skip tracing and data and all mm -hmm. this. And then not to say it's not important. Obviously, that's, that's Clay's baby. And <laughs> he's done an exceedingly good job with that part of the company. But, uh, you know, we have three full-time employees that do nothing but focus on marketing to buyers. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has set us apart tremendously. You know, we don't mm -hmm. have a a buyer that makes up 25% of our business or even 10% of our business. No. I mean, there, oh, are, really? there, there, there yeah. are a ton of, uh, you know, it's a Gatling gun and it's mm -hmm. all different. So, you know, we, we've, we've maintained that to be true for a long time. I looked at, I looked at it before we, before we came on the air and we've, we've done 148 transactions as of today, so far this year, 121 were to unique buyers. If that really? tells you anything about, yeah, about kind of a, the, the scale of, of what, and, and it's because we're always shopping out. Mm -hmm. Mom and pop buyers in today's market are going to pay top dollar. Yeah. Um, we try to not work with hedge funds if we can avoid it because they're going to gut you on stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want it their way. And not to say yeah. mom and pop buyers don't, but, you know, if we're providing value, to Clay's point, you know, we're in our new office, we just finished up. We, we're getting a big mural painted or whatever in the city of Indianapolis, a map of Indianapolis, whatever. Right up there on the front says value first. Mm -hmm. um, in giant red, bold font, value first. Cause I want my guys to see it every day when they walk through, value first. If you provide value, it doesn't matter if someone's a full-time real estate investor, or a flipper, or a buy and hold, or a freaking teacher with 401k money sitting around, mm -hmm. right, or 403b money sitting around. Uh, yeah, they're going to buy yeah. as long as you're providing value. So that's what the the, the, the chief difference in our group yeah. is those two things. So let's talk about it. So you say you got three guys actively yep. looking for buyers at yes. all times. So what are their responsibilities? Not necessarily even looking for buyers. You know, we uh, we put on a, a lot of events. Mm -hmm. you know, we're hosting a, uh, an enormous, uh, at least for us, enormous uh essentially an investor's symposium is what we're calling it, mm -hmm. uh, the first weekend in, in November. So November 1st and November 3rd, we're hosting a lot of our out-of-state folks just to come in, teach them about Indianapolis and kind of how how the market works, things that have been working, things that haven't, you know, I, don't, I hate calling it a mastermind, uh, but, uh, you know, a, a group of people to do the same thing and trying to seek value from each other. Well, think about this, you're getting 100 people from out-of-state um, or even in-state coming in to talk about how they can spend money with you. Mm -hmm. uh, for those watching, if you're not doing this and you have any business of any scalability, you're, you know you need to have a mental examination. You got to yeah. be doing it. Um, and, and so, it, you know, that's external marketing. So it's not necessarily identifying buyers, but more mm -hmm. or less cultivating people. Make sure that there's a way that we can continue to add value to these people. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Sadie, if Sadie's watching, Sadie's one of our marketing interns, and Sadie uh, is essentially responsible for implementing these uh, these strategies and putting together these events alongside me. You know, it's a seventeen thousand dollar event over a weekend that we're putting together, and it's completely free to every out of state investor that mm -hmm. works with yeah. us. So, uh, value, right? You know, so are you guys more in state or out of state investors? Uh, it really depends. I'd, 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 I'd still say, 
believe. More in-state? It's about 60-40. Yeah, it's 60 about 60-40. 40. It's, 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 I looked at it again. 61% out-of-state. Oh, out-of-state. Okay, I was going to say that. I'm, I'm the data guy. <laughs> 61% out-of-state as of this year. And so these people are buying it. Mm -hmm. They're buying it for their buy-and-hold portfolio? For the most part. It, uh, and we've got a couple that are kind of, you know, you got properties that are kind of in between flip and, and rental. But, yeah, for the, I'd, I'd say... 70, 80% of the properties we sell are rental grade properties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's huge, right? Because you can definitely have a way higher margins. Oh, my God. Yeah. For the buy and hold guy. It, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. And and that's, again, in, in Indy, you know, especially because, you know, pr projects sell themselves. You've got mm -hmm. a $60,000 house that's, you know, one of the best neighborhoods in the city. And that's just. Really? No, sli no slide at Indy, but well, you can buy you can buy a house in Indianapolis for the price of a VCR. I mean, a, not, not a nice used <laughs> car, right? Is is what Indianapolis is. So, but it's true. I mean, you, you, the 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 amount of headache and stress and, and negotiation and contractors that go into a selling a flip house. I mean, we sell about half of our properties sight unseen. Mm -hmm. This is a it's a pro forma. Bam, done, right? And people always wince when I say you know how much you you can buy a house for in Indy. Uh, and it's not necessarily a slide against like the, the property values in Indy, but more or less uh, a, a nod to Clay and his data team that what we can identify it for, how mm -hmm. cheap we can get something. Because you're, you know, you're buying a $60,000 house, which makes you roll your eyes, but it's probably worth 100, 110 when it's all ready to rock and roll after you know, a quick paint carpet deal. Okay, so then the people you're selling it to are still doing the rehab. Sure. So, um, okay. Um, and right now you guys are sourcing the properties, you guys are doing it all in-house, and then yep. you guys are moving the properties. That's all, everything's in-house. Yes. You guys aren't servicing, like, because you've got a buyer's list, you got this portfolio. You know, you guys aren't helping other wholesalers move their prices. You guys aren't doing joint venture. It's, it's something, honestly, that's, that's an opportunity for us. And I would encourage anyone watching from Indianapolis that we'd love to do that. We used to do it a lot in the past oh, and, yeah. and just haven't in, you yeah. know, recently. Um, but, yeah, we, lo we love JV deals. We love to do that and just haven't done it recently. Okay. Yeah, we, we were – Clay's data – I mean, we're, we'll, we'll spend $30,000, $40,000 a month on, on external stuff. So, I mean, Clay's data alone <laughs> keeps us pretty busy. Yeah. But uh, not to say we turn that away, just it's uh, – you know, we've got a handful of things to mess with on our own. So how are you guys buying? Because, again, this is, like, this is your competitive advantage. How are you guys finding these people to add into your your, your, your database? On the, on the buyer side or on the seller side? On the buyer side. Go ahead. Well, the buyer side is interesting. You know, we, we hired, uh, again, our, our, our external guy uh, for a, a long, 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 like, hell, probably a year ago. Um, and Aaron, what Aaron does is essentially piece together uh, marketing mediums. And mm -hmm. this sounds rudimentary, but... Aaron's job is to go out and facilitate, you know, work alongside these investors that we fi find or have found. Hey, can I come in there and take pictures of your house? Can I come in there and, you know, see what you're doing, you know, get an update on this, that, the other thing? Can I interview you? Mm -hmm. And put together content for stuff we've already done. So it, it works kind of, it's a you know, bifurcated benefit to us. You know, obviously, you know, it shows that we're interested in seeing the project from A to Z and making sure that they're ringing as much value from that, that mm -hmm. towel mm -hmm. of the property as they can. But at the same point, we can take those pictures, those photographs, those interviews, uh, uh, and piece them together into little case studies for, for future folks. So we yeah. furnish those on you know Facebook, YouTube, whatever, as you know one two three Main Street flip. You know out of state investor. Uh, you know we're we're here. We, we care about you. We're here along alongside the the whole ride. But you know here's how it's worked out. Here's what yeah. we sold it for. Here's what neighborhood it was in. Yada yada yada. So we put here's the performer. Here's what the actual right. performance is. Right. So we put a little pretty bow on the on the property when it's all said and done, and then that you know returns two x three x on the people that are talking to us, and it continues to build. Um, but as far as outbound touch, I mean, are you guys like cold calling these guys? I know you guys run a big cold calling center, which I thought we were going to talk about, but we can talk about. <laughs> you can talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, this, this part right here is, is, you know, that's where you guys are different. Like, you know, cold calling is obviously a big part of your operation. Yeah. Are you guys cold calling buyers? Are you guys pulling lists? Well, if there's anything that the folks watching, I want them to leave with is, is India is not as sexy of a market as L.A., Vegas, Phoenix. 
No? Seattle, whatever. <laughs> not, <laughs> even <a little> bit. <laughs> not, not even a little bit. So, you know, the people who are looking in India are often, hell, if not always, buy and hold folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, they've, they've got a, a vast array of different hillbilly Midwestern cities to choose from as far mm-hmm. as what, where they want to put their money when they're, they're priced out of their own market. We work with teachers and attorneys and you know cops and people from all over the place, just normal folks who are, don't want can't buy an investment property in Vegas, Phoenix, yeah. LA, Seattle, whatever. Um, so a lot of it is just you know exposing yourself and identifying yourself as you know hey we can be a resource to out of state folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been at a, a, we've done I don't know if it's just again sheer luck or or if we've just doubled down on something that was an opportunity for us, but we've we've been extremely fortunate to. Uh, kind of knock it out of the park a couple times with some some serious hitters from out of state, and it's grown kind of organically. Mm-hmm. So at least a lot know, of word of mouth. Yeah. I mean, just to wrap some nuts and bolts around this, right. a lot of word of mouth because we've done well by these guys yeah. track record. for several the track record. And, and it went from small track record like Jeb, right? Jeb, mm-hmm. was, Jeb is from Long Beach, and Jeb, you know, lent us money, got his money back in six months, and bought his house, and he had you know, thirty grand in equity in it. Well, but in, one in, Jeb in, turns to ten Jebs turns to a hundred. Yeah, and here we are. Yeah. And, and quite, fr- I mean, it, it, just, again, just to put some substance to this, we give a shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, we. We're, we're calling six months after you buy a buy and hold to see if you got your money out. Mm-hmm. If if not, tell me where we went wrong. Where how do we can we get better at this? Yeah, we've got and just a, a simple phone call after the, this builds on it. You know, you're, people are shocked by that. And Evan Sadie recently started sending out plaques. If you've done a deal with us, we'll send you a plaque. Cost thirty three bucks. Yep. Plaque with a picture. Here you go. Congrats to the door. Picture of the property, address or whatever, and like that's returned crazy. Forty yeah. on the money. Crazy. I love so it. It, yeah, so just little things like that. We have a full time guy dedicated to making sure that you know the project goes from A to Z. And it sells or it rents or whatever, right? Yeah. And just having that constant touch has, has worked wonders for us from a buyer's perspective. So w- w- word of mouth is big. We're also big on on bigger pockets is, is obviously a big one for us. Facebook groups, uh, we're just touching people. Yeah, it's it's not really a hard sell. Hey, are you are you a cash buyer? Mm-hmm. It's a hey, how can we be a resource to you? What are you trying right. to accomplish in Indianapolis? Yeah, and once we get them on the phone, it's I mean they're going to work with us. Gotcha. So <clears throat> one of the things that we use to validate people. We asked for settlement statements. Cool. And that wasn't an issue with you guys. Settlement <laughs> statements. That was really easy. But also, in my doing research, you guys bought a bought a building for your company. Yeah. Not a lot of people are buying buildings, right? Yeah. The money they're making for the business. So talk about what what your vision is with the building. Well, I was I was, I was on the phone with a guy uh, uh, from LA, a physician from LA, who's an investor of ours. Um, earlier today, we were top Who was Phil? Oh. Phil Chu, if you're listening, hi. Uh, but Phil. Uh, you know, was asking some questions or whatever about this that, and the other thing, and I caught myself saying, you know, we we almost take offense to being compared to the traditional wholesale shop. If <laughs> There's a, no almost, we do, and, 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 and we, we, we don't. Yeah, <laughs> we I'm do. trying to be polite about it. Yeah, we do. We we, we, we take offense to being like a traditional wholesale shop, mm-hmm. and uh, to the point where you know, uh, certain certain way the this industry operates, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to look bad, shady. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's no secret. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we are trying to legitimize every last little piece of what we do to make it, you know, not make it seem, but, you know, put the best foot forward to, you know, uh, uh, serve as a legitimate resource to yeah. people. That there's a legitimate need. There's a market mm-hmm. for what we do. And we want to further demonstrate that. There are licensed brokers, managing brokers, people that you know, work in their basement or mom and dad's basement, whatever, mm-hmm. right? We are not like that. We don't want to be that. Yeah. So, you know, buying the building was a, a no-brainer for us and the idea that we could double down for our guys, serve as, you know, here's a, not a gift, but, you know, we're investing in our team, investing in our our, uh, our city, investing in our investors, if you will. Yeah. Just continuing to, 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 to be the best for, for them. So 6,000 square feet of... It, it's, it's funny that our answers are different in that regard because his is, is focused towards buyers. What are buyers going to think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And mine is focused towards uh, our sellers and our team. What's our team going to think? Mm-hmm. It's a lot... And people ask me all the time, how are you recruiting these killers, these sales guys? How are you... How on earth are they doing what they're doing? Well, they're to our team, by the way. Yeah. And no better team. They're the most cash offer team. Kick ass. 
Well, they people want to come work for us. Why? We got a sexy building. We're going to give you swag. We're going to we're going to wrap your car. We're going to you know what we're going to have. We got ke- we got pool tables and keg raters in the office. Of course, you want to come work with us, mm-hmm. right? And there's no one else uh, to, to, to newbies looking forward to how you know people trying to make their first hire for acquisitions or whatever. Why do they want to come work with you? Money's available anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. What's the brand mean? What what are we going to do outside the office hours? So we like each other. Right, and so that building is really just encapsulates all that into one. Yeah. Um, it's a six thousand square foot building that's solely dedicated as a nod to my team. That's it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we, we want to be the Maserati of the industry, and there's no, you know, there's no better way to do that than you know. I think you meant to say Ferrari. Ferrari. Get a Maserati kind of cheap. Indianapolis style. I want a Maserati, by the way. Okay, so the other thing we were talking about uh, offline was you're trying to do the burr thing in commercial as well. Yeah. yeah. So what, tell me about that journey. Well, we're not commercial guys. You know, like Clay mentioned, you know, we, we kind of grew up in the commercial realm, but we we don't go out of our way to invest in commercial. We, we do it. We own a, a handful of just standalone retail things, but stuff we find by just sheer to God accident. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we bump into it. And again, value first is our, our chief core value. So if we find a, a, a retail thing we can buy for we're not gonna say dirt no, cheap, yeah. hell no, I'll buy it. I'll, I'll buy it, you know. Storage facility on Mars, if I need to, whatever. <laughs> so as long as the numbers work out, yeah, as long as the numbers yeah. work out. So, so that's really where it starts and stops. And I don't want to be more boring about it than I need to be. Yeah. But you know, if we can buy something at fifty cents on the dollar, then mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it is. Gotcha. So a handful of little retail things. We're in a warehouse uh, near downtown Indy, and what am I missing? Barbershop. Oh yeah, a little barbershop, cute little thing, like a block from his house. That was yeah. fun. But obviously helps having a commercial background, right? So like you're, you, we were joking earlier about the CCIM certification, but you are, you do have. A background in commercial. Yeah, uh, you know, our first two gigs were, or our only two gigs were, were in commercial. But you know, more or less, CCIM is Certified Commercial Investment Member. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's like a, I, I equate it to the CPA of, of uh, commercial, real re- commercial real estate. Anyone can be a commercial real estate broker. Mm-hmm. Anyone can be an accountant, but to be a CPA or to be a CCIM is completely different. So. Uh, to have that ability to go through and to train with some of the brightest minds in commercial real estate, you can apply that knowledge to residential mm-hmm. and just how to manipulate financing and whatever else is, is extremely important. So uh, to honk my own horn, I, th- I, th- I think it still, <laughs> reigns, it still reigns true. I was the youngest uh, pinned CCIM in the state of Indiana's history. I don't know if that's still true or not. But Probably yeah, not no, true no, anymore. No, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely <laughs> screwed up. <laughs> but just something for your listeners to, to take away from this, Steve, is it didn't, we didn't start doing commercial stuff. We did it because we understood it. Yeah. And we understood it and could apply that knowledge because we had a track record. I mean, asking somebody for a half a million dollar private loan ain't going to work in your second deal, right? We yeah. started off with a $20,000 loan, and then we did two, and then 10, and grew into it. So for, for if you're just getting started or on your first couple deals, it, there's no shame in having a track record. Just mm-hmm. getting your foot in the door with some of these guys, making them money, and, and working yourself into that. I mean, we're yeah. seven, eight years into this now, and, and there's still things we don't know. But we rock that because we're building a track record. Absolutely. Um, how much are you guys 100% wholesale? Do you guys do any flipping? Yeah, we do flips, uh, probably 80% wholesale, and that includes our wholesale stuff too. So we pr- we probably take down whatever a third of the properties that we wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, yeah, do, we'll, pro- do, we'll do 20 or 30 flips this year. That's not our specialty, yeah. but you know if there's a lot of meat on the bone, we'll we'll hang on to it and do it ourselves. Yeah. So uh, probably 20. Rehabs spook him off, so I've got to. Do I hate series. rehabs. Hate hate flipping <laughs> houses. Gives me EBG. He's talking about it. one of the unique things that we have. Uh, you know. The, our ex- I call him our external marketing, but he's kind of a quasi-project manager as well. He kind of babysits all of our crews. So we'll flip 20 or 30 houses this year, but we won't touch, see, smell. I mean, hell, we won't even walk inside, mm-hmm. but maybe one of them. Yeah. So uh, Aaron uh, handles a lot of the project management, but simultaneously that he serves as, you know, uh, uh, external marketing, you know, to kind yeah. of yeah. publish what we're doing, which works 
Yeah, I'm with you. I hate flipping. My so. man, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. But I do look forward to connecting with Ryan Shalaba, getting done a little bit better. He's a smart dude. Yeah, shout just, out to Ryan. Yeah, he's gonna be on the show in, in, in December. Yeah, yeah. Ryan's. I'm, I'm looking forward to picking his brain tonight. But yeah, someone that can take that and scale it and do it as well as he does. Cool. And, yeah. God bless it. So, what does your company look like today? Uh, so our company, uh, our wholesaling company is called Midwest Cash Offer. Check us out at MidwestCashOffer.com. Um, I kind of run it. Uh, you know, Ev is they here, they here and there, but he's kind of on the sales side. Um, so we can call me the visionary, CEO, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, we have a COO, Josh, and uh, so we have a total of 12 employees, which includes an intern. So 11 full-time folks um, in the office. So we got uh, four sales, one dispo. Uh, a, a data manager, which is, I'll talk, again, that's my neck of the woods, mm-hmm. so I'll talk on and on about that. Um, a project manager, an intern, and then the, the two of us. I think yeah, that, and then some, uh, what, what, four VAs and a, yeah, like, v- the yeah, call so team's we, completely separate, yeah, I guess. So kind of the VA squad, they're, we'll see, there are 15 of them plus five lead processors, so like 20 virtual assistants in the Philippines. Oh, they're on the Philippines. For Correct. some reason, a lot of you guys were, were in India. Uh, no, so uh, we're, that's that's kind of the reason we bought this building. Again, if you want to go back to that, is, is we're all occupying the 3,300 square feet on the second floor uh, with, uh, by the end of 20, by the second quarter of 2020, we're going to have all of our cold calling operation local to Indianapolis uh, in the first floor. So mm-hmm. we've kind of got plans yeah, for Yeah, we've that. got 2,000 square feet on the bottom of our building that's completely vacant for that reason, for the potential to build that out. So Gotcha. Yeah, but currently the cold call operation is Philippines, yeah. Uh, Jacob Farr has a question is what's been your guys' biggest obstacle biggest obstacle um, man that's a that's such a weird question to hear uh, our biggest obstacle uh, getting to this point I mean hell we go through obstacles all the time and the building was a pain in the ass we uh, <laughs> I mean, up until we got this new building it's fun to talk about now that it's done but you know uh, we we have the 12 guys on the team guys and girls on the team um, and we up until this past week, we were we were all functioning out of a 1,100 square foot converted daycare building in a very questionable part of town. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was a challenge. That was a big challenge trying to make hard sure to recruit new talent to a converted oh daycare in, yeah. in the hood. So uh, leg- being a, is it be- being seen as a legitimate, you know, uh, a resource is, is a challenge. I think for all wholesalers because mm-hmm. you know, you'll get somebody that's working, so. out, yeah. working out of their basement and any hillbilly with a clipboard and a laptop can do what we do, or at least say they do what we do. <laughs> But to be seen as, you know, we're not like those guys. You know, we're not just looking for an assignment fee to pay down, you know, credit card debt or whatever else, you know, but we're, we're legitimate capitalists. And we're trying to, you know, execute and, 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 uh, on, on value that we identify and make sure that everyone continues to make money. So I think, I the, I think the biggest obstacle for, for me, and, and again, I'm trying to think of, of what we would have said three years ago as this was kind of scaling out, um, is consistency. Is, is there are months where you're not going to make a penny, right, mm-hmm. when you're trying to do that first deal or second deal or whatever, and continue. I'll never forget. Continue to shell out for direct mail money, right? And you know, going into yellowlettershq.com. Shout out Todd Swaggerty, um, and sending money away was tough, right? Not not knowing what you're going to yeah, do. Yeah, no, yeah. And so you know, that was probably my biggest obstacle. Was, was a mental obstacle. Just you have to do it. It's like waking up and going to the gym in the morning. You just have to do it. Yeah. And once you make that commitment, that obstacle kind of went away. But that was. I remember that feeling like it was yesterday. Yeah. Um, and Cody Castley wants to know, what's your guys' favorite disposition strategy? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, a, a dispo and sales is really my end of things. Uh, favorite disposition strategy, uh, if you take care of the underwriting on someone's behalf, uh, you know, especially, you know, my, my background is property tax. Mm-hmm. So I bump into properties all the time that are overassessed and it kills the pro forma, right? But if you can have some distinctive strategy with under, you know, whether it's, you know, how to, 
implement the best insurance strategy or how to, uh, you know, put, uh, you know, appropriate the best debt or uh, whatever, you know, just pick, pick, pick something that'll pop out in the performa. But, you know, my background's property tax. So I, I see, you know, properties come through that I can easily identify as, you know, this is three months away from being, you know, 30 bucks a month in taxes as opposed to 280 or whatever it is now, mm-hmm. you know, underwrite it this way and then, and then all of a sudden your numbers make sense and you got a sale. You got a motivated mm-hmm. buyer at that point. So uh, identifying motivated buyers uh, was something that we've found to be extremely true is, is equally, if not more important at times than identifying motivated sellers. There are a lot of motivated sellers, uh, but motivated sellers not the end of the. I, I hate the word motivated seller. It grinds yeah, my gears because <laughs> motivated sellers, you know, you need equity simultaneous mm-hmm. motivation. Uh, motivated buyers just need motivation. Mm-hmm. So if you got somebody with a money burning a hole in their pocket, you know, ten thirty one folks, whatever. You know, if you can identify something that makes sense based on their numbers and serve as a true resource to, to getting there, uh, much less curtailing something that they've already underwritten it. It doesn't make sense. You show mm-hmm. them how it does make sense. All of a sudden, you're a hero. Mm. So, uh, understanding how the system works with the different, you know, the different types of insurance, your property taxes, uh, understanding the, the the rental market extremely well, to where you can put that together for them and just furnish something. Uh, that's extremely important to being able to uh, dispose of property effectively. G- g- going back to the question, I I, I want to address this. I think uh, our big our best disposition strategy to date has been to create urgency, and that's just summing up what you said in one word, right? Yeah, Urgency. Right. Yeah. Right. So when, when we send out a property via email, we don't text blast. We don't do any of that fun stuff that's, that's sexy nowadays. It's all email. Um, shit, I think we still use MailChimp. Yeah. We, <laughs> you know, it's simplistic, right? Um, but when we send out a property, our average property sells in 22 hours. Mm-hmm. 50% are sight unseen, right? That's because we've trained our buyers. We don't do highest and best. We don't do, we don't ever negotiate, wars and, yeah. right? We don't do, we don't get people, oh, we'll get back to you in 48 hours. No, the mm-hmm. price is the price. And it's like going, buying a gallon of milk, right? Mm-hmm. So when you see stuff from Midwest Cash Offer, um, and, and if you're you're another wholesaler, train your buyers, work to curtail relationships and train them to act the way you want them to act. And that's what we've done really well. That's and and, and a, a phrase that I love to use to specific to dispositions is, you know, if, if we have to negotiate, if we got to talk about timing, talk about price, talk about getting somebody else in there, you know, I'm not doing my job well enough. Clay's not doing his job well enough to get right. the price, to get the, you know, to, to, to sell that thing or get that thing so low to where you shouldn't have to worry about this. Yeah. So it's something that I see being said, what's a, what's a buyer going to say to that, right? Mm-hmm. If by definition, that's the way it should all work. So uh, something I love is saying, you know, if, if we get a talk price, it's, uh, you know, I'm not doing my job well enough. And that mm-hmm. seems to work pretty well. Very interesting. Uh, Arnold Camarera probably killing that name. <laughs> uh, what's the commission split for your acquisition team? Yep, so uh, commission team gets, uh, so they have a couple things. They get 10% net of the deal. So we call it HUD to HUD. So we double close on almost every single transaction. So whatever the net is on the A to B, the net is on the B to C, uh, let's call it $10,000. They're going to walk away with the 10% commission uh, on that deal. Uh, on top of that, they have revenue goals every month. So if uh, this month it was 100 grand per guy, so we have four, right? So if you get if you exceed $100,000 in revenue, your your commission structure is going to double, and so it's a great carrot to throw out in front of them and say, you know, work. And if we had three, three, I mean, Warren didn't hit it, but Zach and Jarris both did this yeah, quarter, yeah. right? So I mean, they they exceeded their their expectation and got that double commission. So 10% net, and then we throw them spot bonuses and some other fun stuff here mm-hmm. and there. Yeah, 10% net. And then double? 
And it, it doubles if they exceed that revenue goal, correct? So it's twenty percent. So I mean, right. I, I, so, so, so if somebody hits, you know, uh, one point five, you know, they're getting twenty percent on five hundred thousand bucks. Right. That, gotcha. that, that that delta. Gotcha. So our, our in just <laughs> in the spirit of full transparency, one of our. <laughs> I didn't say this. He's gonna hate. We're me just talking about this. We, uh, <laughs> Zach made nineteen thousand dollars this month, mm -hmm. right? So as a as a senior acquisitions guy with our group, right? So he's making great money. All of our guys are. It's it's it's, it's a function of them knowing that and dedicating themselves to it. But yeah, it's it's that's been a great piece for us is tying it to what the company's making. Yeah, and we don't take out any um, any any marketing costs or any no. any level of risk that we assume as as the business owner. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know some of our competition does that, and I've never understood why. But you know we're the business owner, we take the risk. You know the profit that we're pulling. You know that's what that's what they're getting paid on. Yep. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and uh, Jeffrey Smith, what's up, Jeff? He's a uh, uh, someone I know really well, and he's saying that he holds Elton in Indy, and you never got back to him. He was referred to you by Scott. <laughs> so by Scott Oots. So <coughs> put, by that Scott Oots. So put that on blast. Was it what's the name again? Jeffrey Smith. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Most Most Jeffrey. Jeffrey. The Sorry, Jeffrey. Tagger dispositions guy. In that yeah, that's that's on me. That's yeah. on me, Jeffrey. All right, so now we're on record <laughs> blasting Clay. Yeah, we'll just <laughs> on, we'll go on down YouTube, the, Facebook, iTunes. We'll go down the list. Everywhere. That's right. <coughs> <laughs> Jeffrey, we're going to get that tattoo. We'll value first and then get back with Jeffrey directly underneath it. So to explain how the trainer buys, John Gage. Did he explain how to train your buyers? So yeah, so uh, just really quick, um, kind of talking about that. What, what we do is, uh, first and foremost, it's usually negotiation, right? It's, it's, uh, uh, it's, hey, can we get that at a lower price? Or, hey, can I get my property manager, my contractor, my grandmother, my whoever in there? And the way we tell people is, is think about it. When, when, you're, when someone's responding to an email blast we send out, mm -hmm. A, they're clearly interested, right? And, and B, why are, why are they saying what they're saying, right? So when we respond to these people and say, hey, we'd love to get you in there, but that property's going to sell before you make a decision. I, you know, it's just I don't want to waste your time as the buyer. Mm -hmm. well, that mentally pins something in here to them where they, they're insightful and say, well, if that's going to be the case, is it worth taking this risk, throwing down some earnest money, and then I can get inside, mm -hmm. right? right? We're not trying to lock anybody out, nope. but yep. I'm not going to let a parade of people walk through, waste my time and my team's time. Seller's time. Right, seller's time, right. I mean, we, we think when you do, we got a business like ours, it's, we're doing, whatever, 20 deals a month, 15 deals a month. I mean, we're doing a lot of volume. We have to keep these things moving all the time. Yeah. And so we just don't, we, that's step one of training people in my mind is, is when sellers are responding to you, I'm sorry, buyers are responding to you, why? Yeah. Why? What are they actually trying to accomplish with what they're saying? And I think that's right. probably what you'd echo as well. Yeah. Why do you, Why do you need inside? Tell me. Tell me what specifically. Why do you need inside? Mm -hmm. And then that's been obviously extremely uh, beneficial to us because again we get to see stuff from from A to Z. And, and oftentimes, you know, like Chris said, 40, 50 percent of our properties are sold sight unseen to yeah. people that live two thousand miles away. Yeah. So uh, being able to establish ourselves as a true to God vetted A plus top tier blue chip resource paired with the ability to you know, get those questions answered has been effective in training. So whoever asked that question, you'd be shocked by, by uh, I guess, how easy it is. You'd be shocked by your ability to, to control that, that side of it, yeah. is what I, we found. People don't need to see properties. They don't need to see the inside. That's my, that's the way I leave it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so going back to, you know, I, like I said, originally when I had you guys coming on the show, I was like, oh, for sure we're going to talk about cold calling for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because that's what you I know. You can't talk about it for an hour. <laughs> I can't. I'll blab on about it. So let's talk about right now. Cool. You guys are finding deals. How? What's the best way that you guys are finding deals at the moment? Yeah. So um, let's let's yeah. He can just get up and leave. <laughs> um, so in 2017, uh, we did. I think our top line revenue number was like 1.6 or maybe 1.7, and 100% uh, direct mail, all of it, 
right? It was, was direct mail. And uh, that felt good. And then 2018, we started doing, no, I'm sorry, it was 2016, it was 1.7, yeah. and then 20, yeah. And then 2017, we started doing uh, cold calling. And uh, that, you know, just looking at the, at the metrics, I'm a huge KPI guy. Mm-hmm. So cost per deal, cost per lead, leads per deal, right? And all these key metrics that go through it. Cold calling was just obliterating direct mail. It was never close and it's never gotten any closer, right? Um, so fast forwarding to today in 2019, uh, cold calling still, if you put all these lead sources next to each other, PPC, SEO, uh, organics, direct mail, uh, cold calling in our market still is is maybe not the gold standard, um, but it's the one that we have the most dialed in. Uh, we are really good at it and uh, we spend the most time on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. cold calling has got to be our uh, bread and butter, if you will, and, right and, now. and we do it the right way. And Clay can talk more about this, but it took a long time to build out a cold call center that was, you know, uh, compliant from mm-hmm. all federal standards. Mm-hmm. Um, spent a lot of money, a lot of time, and talked to more attorneys than we probably should. But uh, uh, doing it the right way, doing it's you know relatively easy. Hire some cold callers, you can find a dialer that, that shoots out numbers, and you're you're yeah. on the, you're at least you're on the board, right? Well, I think that's a really good point because right now TCPA is kind of this thing like hey you know we're kind of talking about it but we're not really talking about it right well so it's unpopular i mean it's yeah it's it, and i could talk at length about this because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm passionate about it uh and jason nickel is another uh, resource that uh, yes, he is. lead lead sherpa he, he and i kind of bounce ideas off each other frequently when it comes to tcpa yeah and uh for those who don't know tcpa is teleconsumer tele- telephone consumer protection act and it's a federal law that, that dictates how you can and cannot communicate uh, with consumers when it comes to uh, uh, outbound messaging, whether it's calls or whatever. So let's talk about how are you guys, what what measures did you guys have to take to mm-hmm. be TCP compliant with the amount of cold calling you guys are doing? Yeah, so we, uh, to kind of wrap this, this back to what you were asking earlier, we have a cold, a cold, a cold, cold call center now with 15 agents, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, each agent uh, makes about 5,000 dials a week. Got to do the math right. So we'll do like, I don't know, 3 million dials this year. So that's a lot of people we're touching, right? Um, with this involved, um, we have to make sure we're not scraping any knees and pissing people off. So uh, that means we have to comply with federal state laws, right? Well, especially because you guys are also using your brand too. Absolutely. And and, and, and so and we're not, I'm not going to back down from that. We've, we're doing it the right way. If you want to come at me, come at me. We're, mm-hmm. you know, we're, so be it. Um, as far as what we do, uh, you're, it's all about your dialer and how you're dialing. So for us, we don't use an automated dialer. A lot of these mojos, uh, Zen calls, uh, you know, I can name them all. Um, they're all auto dialers. You press a button, it spits out numbers. Um, not federally compliant. Mm-hmm. And so, who are the folks we've talked to? They, they, correct. They're not a lawyer. I don't yeah, come at me. <laughs> geez, no. You can go rounds and rounds and rounds with this. Yes. For, for the people we talked to, the money we spent said that's not the appropriate measure. Correct. So we, a friend of mine in in Indy uh, owns a debt collection agency, and he ran into the same problems. So we together kind of uh, hodgepodge this dialer that's uh, similar to Lead Sherpa, and it's a click to call. So in essence, we have a VA all day long that's clicking nonstop. And that's where it's originating our call. So we do it completely compliant um, per TCPA regulations. And that's that's been our biggest uphill climb this year is how do we get around these obstacles? Yeah. Maybe that's the obstacle question. Maybe that's the answer I should have given was this damn go. cold calling nonsense. <laughs> so <laughs> is, that, is that a custom build? It is a, uh, it's a custom suite off of a previous technology, yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so the framework was kind of in place. We just put different things in, in there to make it work the way we need it to. So who are you calling? We are, uh, I guess anyone and everyone would be the right terminology there. We, uh, 
what works is the same list that you guys are already talking about. Divorces, high equity, seniors. We get messages all the time, hey, what's what's working for you guys? Um, everything, because we're the most consistent you can be with it. Like, if you were to ask me right now, I could tell you what list we're going to be dialing in March of 2021. I mean, I could tell you to the line item, like, who is going to be dialed, mm-hmm. right? And we're just ultra consistent about it. And so uh, my answer to that would be the same lists that are always talked about. It doesn't, it doesn't change. Um, I, would, I probably should know what the best list is, what we're doing, but I have no idea. It's yeah, and that's where the data manager comes in, too. Right. Like we, we, we have a, someone on our staff full-time who is ma- actively managing these lists and, and, and can you know, effectively communicate, you know, here's our, you know, here are our numbers based on ABC, you know, here's what I think we should do, and Clay's just you know, stamping gotcha. off at this point. Right. So we have between him and our COO that's you know, ma- monitoring all this, you know, Clay's kind of high level on this stuff, but the data manager's really in the weeds. Um, so you're the data nerd. I am. So you're tracking the KPIs. I am. Every day? Every day. In fact, we have a, in our office, we've got an 82 inch TV that has a, a kind of a quad split and we've got KPIs on every board in live time. So it's synced up to our, our monitor where you can see cost per deal as leads are coming in. It's really- Is it Plecto or are you using something different? It's a Clip Tech, Clip, uh, Clip yeah, I Tron. Or, yeah. I, can, I can get whatever it is. It's, it's very similar to, to, to Plecto, yeah. Okay. So then- Cost per lead cold calling. Yes. What did you guys cost? I'm sorry, cost per transaction cold calling. Yeah, so cost, we call it cost per, uh, cost per deal, cost yeah. per closing, whatever you want to call it, is just shy of $1,000 in cold for, calling. That's for data? That's everything. Skip tracing? That's call. correct. That's out the door. And the VAs? And the, yeah, correct. So that's labor. labor we we yeah. call it labor costs and then service costs is what we call with our dialer costs and skip tracing and all that stuff. Okay. But not the, not, not the 10%. Correct. Yeah, so the commissions are outside of that. Okay. All right. Just curious. Yep. It's about a thousand bucks. And our average, for those watching, our average spread on transactions is twelve thousand, like roughly twelve thousand bucks, twelve, twelve five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and we, we've got you know our, our our director of operations, Josh, who will sit there and actively monitor these boards, and he manages the sales team, and you know he kind of plays, you know, uh, I picture him kind of playing Jeopardy when that board starts to get too high with right. you know, deals, whatever. Yeah. The first person on somebody's ass, saying what's going on. Yeah. So we're, we're, those those numbers are oh, really? talked. On so a, he's well, in there. Oh my God! I mean, it's 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 put up on this board intentionally because we fell into this trap uh, in 2018 where direct mail really started to take a dive. I mean, anyone, you, this guy, the other guys, it, the competition, it, it, were all sending direct mail, and we were not on top of our numbers like we needed to. So we spent God knows how much money, and not just money, but time. You know, we yeah. took us six months to figure out like, wow, these lead sources suck. Mm-hmm. What are we gonna do about it? But now, I mean, thank God we've got this new thing built out. But to this, I mean. I think we're like a two-minute delay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we know exactly what's going on all the time, so we can offici- we can you know adjust and yeah, we can pivot pretty quick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think a key point here, right, is COO. Yes. Someone that's monitoring, you got it real time. Correct. And someone that can track and respond. I mean, most people are looking at, hey, you guys are looking lead indicators with lagging indicators. So you guys are looking at lead indicators. So you're looking at lead indicators in real time. Correct. It's not even like, hey, let's look at this a week later. There, there are well, very, f- very few question marks with in that regard. Yeah, yeah. but you got to think about how many people, you know, and, and this is our scaled up business, and this is not really entry level stuff, but, you know, we've got a data guy who's literally in charge of that. His name's Corey. Corey's on it all day long. And then you've got Josh, who's the COO, who's, who's managing Corey, managing the numbers. So we got so many people with eyeballs on these numbers that if we can't pivot quickly, we I screwed something up. Yeah. You, you understand? And that's, that's fundamental for our business as we see where it's going in the next – 24 months yeah, it, down to data but also you know managing the sales team that's on top of that data mm-hmm. right so you know how many calls are the sales guys making per day how many appointments are they on just so, so we can see that you know, our lead is effective to ensure that our lag is, is budgeted for right uh, so Antoine wants to know what's your ideal property type a three-bedroom two-bath brick shit house built in 1965 yep. 1100 square feet 
in a township. We're picking it up for 65, selling it for 75. It's worth 110, rents for 900,000 bucks. Hmm. Yeah. You guys know your stuff. Well, I mean, it's, it's well, pull the trigger, you put 10 grand into it, fix it up, <laughs> and then you know you pull yeah. your money back out, and it's it's a you'll sit there, you give it to the kids at some point. Hmm. So, no question marks. Brick shit house. It's on if Anton's got one like that, I'll buy it from him. <laughs> <laughs> Send it my way. I'm not sure he's an indie. I know he's all over the East Coast. I don't know. I'll tell you something, in Andy. Anton, <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk. Uh, so, what is your guys'? Is, you guys aren't doing. Are you guys still doing direct mail, or you guys cut that off? No, we so we still do it. I mean, it's just it's the the redheaded stepchild. I mean, yeah. it's we do we do. Uh, and I had the numbers when I walked in here. I, I'd, I'd say of our revenue so far this year, probably sixty percent is, is cold calling. 20% direct mail, 20% uh, texting. We do outbound SMS. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a rough breakdown of what we're doing right now. Okay. So then what are you guys spending a month in marketing? Uh, let's call it a flat $40,000. In, in, and that includes your skip tracing and direct mail and cold call labor and all other fun stuff. But that's a pretty round number, 40. And that brings in about 200? Uh, yeah, give sometimes or take. more, but yeah, I mean. It was between two and a quarter million. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then monthly overhead. Uh, after everything, forty. No, forty is a marketing cost. Uh, uh, forty. Yeah, fifty-five ish, sixty. I guess with salaries and everything. Is that what you want to yeah. include? Like, yeah, probably closer to sixty. Salaries. Yeah. Office space. Yeah. Yeah, the office. I mean, the office. Yeah. Yeah, sixty is whatever. Yeah, yeah. called sixty. I guess. All right. And then uh, Antoine wanted to know what software you're using, but I don't know. Like, is that proprietary then? This the call it the dollar you guys use? Yeah, it's, it's proprietary. And so you know, we've we've kicked around the idea of. Uh, of kind of, you know, and that's the other thing too about cold calling, is that our, our script is so dialed in, but our script is five questions, right? So we, ha- we, used to have these, we used to have these way long scripts and, these, and, and some of the other people that sell their cold calling services are great at it, but they got these really long scripts and, and I got a cold call from one of these guys one time mm-hmm. and said, my guys are not going to be like that. We're not going to ask for your mortgage information, right? Yeah. Um, so our software is proprietary, but even more so than the software is our dialed in scripting ability and, and live transfers and all that fun stuff. That's that's what kicks it into overdrive. Yeah. So talk about the live transfer. What is that? So if we get someone on the hook, and, and, and the way we do this, and the way we talk about leads is if someone, if we call you and ask if you're looking to sell your house in the next three months, and you answer yes, we're not talking price, we're not talking what kind of house is it, if you say yes, A, that's a lead, and B, we're trying to get you on the phone with someone in our under our roof, right? A lead processor, exactly. an acquisitions guy, now, right? Um, what we found was if you hang up that call, your chances of closing that deal go down 60%. Mm-hmm. 60, it's huge. And so we're trying to convert that person. We want your name, address, bed, basket, footage, basement, garage, asking price. So is that six questions, mm-hmm. right? And that's it. And we'll push it over to someone live. Mm-hmm. So that alone has, has taken our cold calling results from X to X plus 50%. I mean, it's, yeah. it's an enormous difference, um, which we found. So that was just trial and error, screwing up and then getting it right eventually. Yeah, that's interesting because that's something that I've always kind of wondered about, you know. is got to do it. If you're, if you're calling them back, right, it's always like, oh, they're not available now. Right. Right. But if someone really, really ready to make a decision yeah. on the first cold call, you're saying the answer is yes. The, the answer is yes, and I, I know it because I'm stuck in the data. And, and, you know, on top of that, People kind of say yes out of pressure sometimes, and they get ashamed, and they they don't want to call that uh, call from that person again. And so, a lot of folks that, that we've talked to are using Mojo and uh, you know some of these other dialers where you're calling back from that same damn number, mm-hmm. and they're not going to pick up the phone. They oh I don't want I don't you know I don't I'm, I'm too right scared now. I'm not right. they've got ostrich syndrome mm-hmm. where they're going to bury their head. We got to get them now, yeah. and if it ends up being a bad lead, and most of them are, it's cold calling for Christ's sake, mm-hmm. right? Most of them are bad leads. 
uh, that's fine. We're going to disconnect the call, and we're going to follow up with you in six months, and good for you. Yeah. But we need to capture immediately those leads. At worst case, you're, you're, you're getting the information that you can use against them yep. in the future. Right. So if you can get that, get that information in the first you know, 30 seconds, as opposed to waiting another 30 days, 40 days, 50 days to get them back on the hook, if ever, yeah. you know, that's, that's, again, well worth the time and expense we put into it. Well, the last time we were hanging out, you guys were talking about um, doing everything in person, and you know Don Costa blew you guys' mind <laughs> with uh, with doing it over the phone. Yes. So has that changed yet? So uh, I owe a lot of of, uh, of our ability to close over the phone now to Don. Shout out Don <laughs> Costa. Shout out. It's all over the place today. No kidding, yeah. um, Don was really kind uh, of uh, in my face about it. He was like, "Dude, like you need to change what you're doing." We were sitting next to you. And yeah, he was kind of slapping <laughs> me around a little bit and said, "Hey, we uh, we need to get so yeah so so we went from last year, 100 percent of our properties were sold, uh, or I guess acquired on an appointment." You know, belly to belly, shaking hands. Good old boy style. And a lot of that's the Midwest culture. People just want to shake your hand. And I bought into that. I really did. That and we, we hired on it. Like, well, like yeah. the guys we hired are, are just face-to-face, you know, uh, I don't know, I hate to call them hillbillies, but, you know, they'll sit there and just... Good like, old boys, yeah. Yeah, they're good old boys. Yeah. And, and we, we hired based around that same premise, and then Don kind of entered Don. And, and, well, and, I, and, and so we, I, I realized if we wanted to scale, and now we're in Kansas City market, which is really cool, um, and we're doing deals there over the phone. And I, I realized that it's going to be impossible to scale this business across multiple markets unless we're closing over the phone. Uh-huh. And Don kind of grabbed me and shook me by the shoulders and said, we got to get you closing. And it's just as simple as making a mind shit, a mindset shift. And so we did. And so we hired based on your ability to close over the phone. And you know now we're doing at least a third of our deals are just sign up over the phone. We'll get good pictures and we'll go do it that way. Yeah. I mean, so we, we, we flew into Phoenix yesterday, just, to, just as an example, if nothing else, we flew into Phoenix yesterday uh, afternoon and we've signed up three deals over the phone since we've been here. Mm-hmm. So we're talking 24 hours, our phone closer. Uh, we've done three deals this week, although today, or in the last 24 hours. So it's a... Uh, so going back to my question earlier, right? If you're doing the live transfer, yes, are you trying to close it right then on that live transfer? If we can. And so that's, that's, that's up to the... So usually the way it goes is we're going to cold call lead. And, you know, if we can, great. We're, we're, we're going to filter for that information. We're passing it off to uh, still offshore, so it's a lead processor, right? Mm-hmm. One of the VAs, yep. and they can converse just like you and I. We're up huge on English dialect, and if you don't sound like you're sitting in this room, you don't belong in the company, right? Mm-hmm. No offense, get out. So our lead processors are great, and they'll sit there, and it's their job to build a little rapport and make a joke here and there, and maybe gather mortgage information or pain points or whatever, right? They're cleaning that lead up and handing it over to sales staff. Mm-hmm. And if sales staff deems that they can close it right then and there, have at yep. it. Um, I don't know what that close rate is off the initial call. Uh, it's, a, it's I guess it's probably rare. It's probably 20 30%, yeah. but it does happen. Okay. Uh, Lucas Orozco wants to know, how do you recycle your list with your cold callers? Yeah, so uh, I would begin by saying that this was just guessing and checking. There's no science between this. Uh, there is now, but originally there wasn't. Um, we call through every list, and it, it'll depend on your dialer. So we call through every list three times, okay? And we're just getting the, what we call the bottom of the barrel. So if you start with 10,000 names on a list, we want to go to, you know, 7,000 to go, and then 4,000, then 1,000, okay? Mm-hmm. And once we get to that bottom of the barrel that no one picked up after three dials, uh, we're going to put it on the shelf, and we call it seasoning. We're going to let it season for 45 days. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go through, and we're going to go through it another three times, okay? 1,000 to... 600 to 500 to five, you see what I'm saying you're getting yeah, one of the yeah. bottom shit that's not you know useful so we will take that and even today we, we pulled lists in early 2018 
that we are still recycling on. Okay, mm-hmm. and we'll and, convert, and converting and converting. I mean, we had we had a forty thousand dollar deal last week or two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. It was it was on its eighteenth call. 18th, and yeah, no one picked up at any time. February 2018 is when we started that call and just never And we blasted them. And finally, they picked up the phone and, and sold us their house. So uh, the, maybe a nugget for your for your viewers is is there's a lot of gold if you are cold calling mm-hmm. um, in recycling lists. And I don't care if you got to blast people, right? I'm not afraid to blast people because I'm not getting sued for TCPA shit, right? I'm, I'm, yeah. just, I'm having at it, <laughs> right? So it's just by a point of emphasis, uh, if you are cold calling, I highly recommend having some degree of procedure in place uh, we're going to call these people four or five times, put it on the shelf for two months, call mm-hmm. them again. Yep. And that's what ours is. Cool. And then George Paul wants to know, uh, he's an indie. Do you guys host any meetups? Uh, not yet. And that's something that's kind of been on uh, our mind, is, and especially with this new building going on. We'd love to do that. Um, would certainly welcome that. But no, we don't do anything like that right now. If, if we, Clay and I are huge on, on, on providing as much value as possible. We, and we love doing it for free. You know, like I, I, we spend a lot of time networking uh, and doing kind of individual meetups, not necessarily one big massive one, but uh, you know, we, 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 it's, it's an intricate balance because you want to have as much uh, resources and value providing in indie, but you have to cater to your, your, your out-of-state folks just the same. Yeah. So uh, we'd love to get to it at some point. You know, we've got 2,000 square feet of blank, uh, you know, blank canvas underneath us yeah. to, to do what we want with, but you know, we consider doing like a think tank or collaborative space, whatever for, uh, for investors all across the indie market just to come hang out. You know, we got a yep. sweet location, sweet building. So who knows? We'd like to get to it at some point, but, uh, either way, what's his right name there. again? Uh, mm-hmm. George Powell. George, if George, if you're an indie, stop by 52nd college, we'll go get a beer, hang out if nothing else. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> all right. So what's your guys' favorite, best or most interesting failure? Best or most interesting failure. Um, we're gonna talk about this the whole way on the on the plane. I'm sure. Right. Oh, I could have talked about this. Yeah, I know, right? Um, this. There are a thousand it, of them. Yeah, <laughs> mine's a flip that we did, and and uh, oh, that's great. Um, one of the first big flips that we did, and we lost forty five thousand dollars, forty six thousand dollars on it, and uh, it was just from head to toe failure from from a lack of of leadership, and I own that because there's so many ways, especially in a flip, you have to be involved, which mm-hmm. is why I hate it. <laughs> um, but uh, you have to lead through this process. And so from the, the time you, you acquire the property, you got to lead your team through that. And you got to lead your contractors to get bids and lead, you know, lead your broker into guiding, you know, what finishes it needs. And so there's so, and I just, I wanted to step back and have it be on autopilot without working to get there. Mm-hmm. And I thought contractors did what they said and shocking they don't, right? And I thought brokers did what they said and they don't either. So um, my biggest failure from an organizational standpoint is, is and I've learned this the hard way, is making sure that we are in tune with our leadership. And 1145 Linden in Fountain Square was my was my throwing into the into the fire for that lesson. Yeah, and to kind of partner off what you're saying, this is like the quintessential real estate investor thing to say, or salesman thing to say. You know, here's my failure, but this is how it turned into a success, right? This is like an interview tactic <laughs> or something, I guess. Yeah. But uh, 2016 into 2017, and to kind of partner off what Clay said with this flip, we Clay and I were uh, were partners. We were you know third, third, yeah. and the third of this other guy. Um, who you know we thought was the soothsayer when it came to flipping. You know Clay and I were really good at I, I could raise money like to Kingdom Come, and Clay could identify property like nobody's business. And we partnered with, with another guy whose name should not be named, but uh, this dude was Mr. Flippit to my understanding. Had the mm-hmm. construction crews, had the relationships with the vendors and the material guy, and had this big warehouse to store it all. And it just seemed all too good to be true. And uh, in the most real estate way possible, uh, we had a guy that didn't hold up his end of the end of the agreement. Um, and it took, you know, all of what ninety days to figure out if this this wasn't going to work the way we wanted <laughs> mm-hmm. it to. And 
you know, 90 days later, you know, we approached him and said, hey, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You know, we want to buy out your interest in, uh, you know, the company and the building or whatever. And, you know, we're 25, 26 at the time. We spent every dime we had. We spent $60,000 buying out his interest in the LLC. And to this day, the, the best financial decision Easily. We, we've ever made. Easily the best multi-million dollar decision that, that, that yeah. we made. So uh, the failure was jumping into someone who we didn't, you know, properly vet. We weren't in tune with the leadership, or yep. at least a third of the leadership. Yep. With, uh, with with our company. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was steering it down a, a deep, dirty cliff mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, wasn't doing what we were saying, weren't providing value. Uh, we weren't being a resource. Mm -hmm. And that's completely the, uh, the, anti, the antithesis of what our, our company does now. So, right. anyway, uh, this gentleman was bought out, and uh, we still get all the certified mail from the many lawsuits he's in <laughs> effectively mm -hmm. now. So, yeah, so that was a great decision to, to get rid of him and to continue because now I'm in tune with my leadership. So There you go. All right, I'm going to leave you to a moment to think about last thoughts while I make a couple of quick announcements. Cool. Uh, so, guys, I'll be in Biloxi, October 25th through 27th for Real Estate Roundup Live. Uh, go to bit.ly slash R-E-R-L-I-V-E uh, if you want to check that out. I'll also be in New Orleans with Chris Rude in December uh, 6th through 8th. Uh, go to bit.ly slash 2019skill. Again, that's bit.ly slash 2019skill. Uh, and then uh, Max and I have been getting blown up about our uh, workshop that we did a couple of weeks ago. So uh, we're doing another one. Uh, we're going to go everything in our business. And we are charging 5000 for the event. So if you guys want to find out how you can come for free, uh, please visit disruptors.com. And I'll explain to you how we can do that. And next week we got Matt Larson from Davenport, Iowa. He does like flipping. He does, he does a lot of deals too. <laughs> he does a lot of deals. Uh, so uh, we'll be learning about how to get better at flipping. Maybe Clay. <laughs> I'll tune in. Yeah. Tune into that one. Yeah. So last thoughts, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, I, I, I think this needs to be said because I don't hear too many people say it uh, for your listeners. This is, this is not a hard business. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a hard business to get into. It's a, it's a very hard business to stay in yeah. and to be good at. And so my advice to, and my, my parting thoughts would be action over everything. And that's an overused term, but just start taking baby steps, start making mistakes and find a way to, when you get that first check, don't feel the need to post it. Let's put it back in the account. Let's put it back to use. And let's make this foundation for your business concrete. We don't yeah. want it built on a house of cards. So um, not it's about real estate arbitrage. It's not difficult. And uh, I encourage everyone to start taking action steps today. Extremely well said. And thanks so much for, for having us, first yeah. and foremost. Appreciate it. Love your show. Uh, you. We've learned a ton from, from your show and you specifically. Uh, for a while now, so thanks yeah. for putting it on. And uh, for those of you that uh, that haven't tuned in or are still, you know, questioning this whole real estate thing, uh, Steve's an awesome resource, and his group does tremendous work. So uh, thanks for having us. But uh, kind of partnering off what Clay said, you know, uh, provide value. Uh, it's not a super hard thing to do. Pick up the phone, mm -hmm. uh, show up at the meetups, and you know, even if you have to work for free for a couple months uh, to get that first thing under your belt, get a track record. That's what set us apart. Yeah. We were 23 year old kids, didn't know what the hell we were doing. Uh, I had a, I hate calling him a mentor because I haven't talked to him in forever, but uh, uh, a dude who I met in, in, in college, and he said, you know, you have three T's in every single transaction. You have time, treasury, and talent. Time, treasury, and talent. Figure out what you can, what you can provide. What can you add immediately? Uh, for many folks, at least when I was 22, I didn't have any freaking money. I had no treasury whatsoever. <laughs> I barely had any talent. You know, I worked in real estate, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. What I had was time. And I had the ability to go out and make these calls and visit with these people and exist at these meetups and just cool. be a sponge. Yep. So after a while, you know, you start to accumulate, you know, w with time comes talent. 
It was talent comes treasury. Mm -hmm. And we're in a unique position now where we're not even 30 years old and we have uh, an abundance of all three. At the risk of sounding arrogant, we have the, an abundance of all three. So uh, put in the time. The, talent, uh, the time will create talent. Talent creates treasury. Yeah, great. No all right. questions. Thank you. Appreciate it, Steve. Steve thanks, man. Thank you. you. Thanks Thank for you having us. For watching. <laughs>